This weekend, our family had a chance to go up to Covenant Pines for the weekend. And if you're new to our church, we're part owners of this incredible camp up north called Covenant Pines. And as you're driving up to camp, one of the things you notice is just there's all those green mile markers. And when you're driving and, and going fast, they're, they're passing you by really quickly. And I was thinking about this season. I was thinking about this series that we're in. And doesn't life feel like that? Sometimes those mile markers are just flying by as we're going through life. And so the whole purpose in us having up to camp this season was to talk, to set some time aside where we could talk and, and we could dream as we look to the future. Our girls are growing up so fast, so fast. And we don't want to miss these moments, these moments that we have together with them. We want to be more intentional about how we invest them. Well, this morning as a church, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at how the God that we're gathered here to honor today, how he marks moments and the intentionality that he puts into them. This is really going to be fun as we get into the scriptures here today. I'm really excited to do that. Well, as we get started, I want to encourage you to take out your blue insert and let's, uh, let's get started. I want to encourage you to write this down here in your notes. <clears throat> Our lives are measured by moments. Isn't that true? When we look back, you don't just kind of see blah. For the most part, you see moments as you look back on your life. And these precious moments that we've been given, they can either be seized or they can be squandered. All right, I'm reading this book right now, and I'm becoming this huge fan of it. It's called The Power of Moments. Fantastic, fantastic book. In fact, I was thinking if, if I, we put it actually so you, in case you want to take a look at this one, we put it in the recommended reading on the bottom of your notes there. And if I could make this required, I would. I'd make this required reading. These principles, they could enrich your friendships and your marriages, your family life. These principles could make you a better CEO or caregiver or teacher or employee or coach or uncle or auntie. These principles also could help you better understand our church. Why we purposely link our teaching series with seasons. Why we work so hard to personally engage people in outreach instead of just sending checks, which would be a whole lot more efficient. Why we join our voices together at different moments. Why we have that donut line line. Why we join our voices in prayer together at communion Sundays. Why we're so passionate about doing camps and retreats really, really well. Even why we're obsessed about little things. Like the, the, the treat bowl in our office. The cookies out there. All of this is related to that. To these moments. And may I present to you for your consideration the life-changing principles that are highlighted in that book. These are the life-changing principles that God models for us. God models these things for us. In just a few minutes, we're going to look at a section of the Bible that provides a great case study for capturing the power of moments. But before we do that, I want to just spend a couple more minutes talking about why this matters. Why these moments matters. And why we're talking about moments and memories in the weeks leading up to Christmas. Christmas is a season you don't want to squander. You don't want to squander this season. There is potential this time of year to create wonder-filled moments. But one of the many challenges that we have creating these moments at this time is if life is like those mile markers that are flying by, normal life is like flying by those mile markers at 60, what happens at Christmas time? I mean, that's the kind of thing you get pulled over for, right? On your way up to Covenant Pines, which didn't happen, by the way, at least not to us. Several other cars on the way up, it did. 
You know, it feels like you're going by these mile markers at 100 this time of year. But the intentionality of taking time to craft a few moments, you don't have to have every moment count, a few key moments, it's worth it. It's worth it. If we're not intentional, the words that we're going to use to describe this Christmas season that we're about to pass are going to be words like stressful and words like busy and words like I feel like I missed an opportunity instead of it was wonderful. And don't we want wonderful? Don't you want future you to be looking back on this season saying that was a great Christmas? It was a great Christmas. All right, well, then here's a question that I encourage you to write in your notes that we're going to wrestle with. What memories are you designing this season? What memories are you designing this season? Each year, our church takes teens up to Covenant Pines. We take our teenagers up there. It started off as a one-night overnight. Now we're taking three different groups up at three different times, three different weekends. We're taking our preteeners, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers up to Covenant Pines. And one of the things we work really, really hard at is creating moments on those weekends that they're not going to forget. We love creating moments. And one of our themes that we use with our middle schoolers uses Bigfoot as a metaphor. Bigfoot. We thought that'd be memorable. And one of the moments that we designed one of these years was a Bigfoot sighting at the camp entrance. And so it took a little time, it took a little planting, planning, but what we did is when the bus was coming out on the way to go home, there I was in a full Sasquatch costume sitting there at the camp entrance, right? So just a little thing as they were walking, one last reminder of the trip that they'd take their pictures of. And sure enough, they were sending it to their friends before they even got to McGregor, right? This was a moment that we wanted to, to capture, just a, those little things that, that add up to, to big things. Well, as we were creating that memory for them, we ended up inadvertently creating a memory for someone else too. Because as I'm standing out there, now picture this. I'm up in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota, right? I'm out there uh, at the entrance to Camp Covenant Pines. And there's this long road. And at that time in the winter, it's a snow-packed road. There's no traffic on it at all. And there's trees lining both sides. And in the distance, as I'm standing there in a Sasquatch costume, I see these two little dots coming my way on the road. And as the two little dots got bigger, I realized it was a woman and her dog coming towards Sasquatch. And as she is seeing this little dot get bigger and bigger and bigger, she's seeing, here's a crazy man at the end of this road, standing there blocking my path in a Sasquatch costume. Do you think she talked about that a little exchange at some other time? Yeah, she did. Because this is not something you see every day. Life goes fast, doesn't it? goes fast. And one of the keys to creating wonder-filled moments is you want to get out ahead of life. You've got to get out ahead of life. Find one of those mile markers that you're pretty sure you're going to come to, at least as much as you can plan. We talked about this last week. Things don't always go as planned. But as much as you think you can plan on it, get out at one of those mile markers that you think you're going to come to and plan a moment that's waiting for you when you arrive there. And these moments don't have to cost a lot of money. One of the things that research is bearing out is the amount of money that you invest is not the defining characteristic of a defining moment. Can I get an amen? A lot of us grew up in real humble situations where we've got these great memories that didn't cost a lot of money. And research bears this out. Um, consider the case of the Popsicle Hotline. I love talking about the Popsicle Hotline. The Magic Castle, Castle Hotel is one of the top-rated hotels in the entire Los Angeles area. And that shocks a lot of people. 
Because this hotel is a converted two-story apartment building that was built in the 50s. The rooms are dated. The furnishings are average. And someone at some point thought it'd be a good idea to paint the thing canary yellow. Canary yellow. I checked their website as I was doing my fact checking this week. With all due respect, their website is below average. And yet, and yet, the Magic Castle Hotel regularly beats out the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills and the Ritz-Carlton in Los Angeles when it comes to customer experience. Why? In part because they have a popsicle hotline, right? Near their very average pool, they have a red phone mounted on a wall. When you pick up the phone, someone answers and says, Popsicle Hotline. And you can order a cherry popsicle or an orange or a grape. And someone comes out with a silver tray and presents their popsicle to you. And with a Popsicle Hotline, they're beating the Four Seasons and the Ritz-Carlton. In customer satisfaction, it's not about money. It's about moments. Moments. This wonder-filled season. Let's not squander the opportunity to create wonder-filled moments. And I mentioned a case study we're going to look at. Let's look at it now. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Luke, chapter 1. Today we're going to start with verse 57. I want to let you know if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to go home with one free today. Each and every week we keep a a stack of them there at that table in the back. Please take one home. You don't have to ask anyone. Please just take it home. This Bible is so filled with these moments that God created. They're so good. And we're going to look at one of them today. If you're just joining us and you're not familiar with this section of the Bible uh, or the Bible at all, here's what's been happening so far in this series, the the moments we've been looking at. Luke opened this book with a carefully crafted opening, which was designed to inspire well-placed confidence in his research. It's as if he was saying, hey, I know that a lot of what I'm about to say is hard to believe. So I'm going to name names. I'm going to include places and events that you can anchor to Please fact check me on all of this because these wonder stories happened. All of them. The ones that are stories will tell you they were stories. We're going to tell you if they were parables. There are wonder stories here that happened, really happened. In week one, we explored a wonder story that involved a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they prayed, prayed for years for a child, but they weren't able to conceive. And now they were too old for that to happen. But then an angel named Gabriel appeared with the wondrous news that Elizabeth would conceive a miracle baby. This was hard for Zachariah to believe and is both a consequence for his lack of faith and is a sign of God's promise that it would come to pass. Zachariah was told he would be silent. Remember that. He would be silent until his son was born. Okay, that was week one. And week two, We looked at Gabriel's next stop on the Miracle Baby Tour. Six months after appearing to Zechariah, Gabriel appeared to a young woman named Mary with a message about an even more miraculous conception, an even more miraculous child. That was week two. This week we're going to start with verse 57, and let's go verses 57 through 62 as we get started here. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. 
And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And so they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. The crowd, the crowd in this situation, they're all gathered for this momentous occasion. And they're treating this mile marker like other mile markers in that time and in that place. At this time, you would normally name your firstborn son after a relative. Well, Elizabeth noticed that someone was about to write Zachariah Jr. on their happy circumcision day card. And Elizabeth said, oh, not so fast, not so fast. And then the crowd fact checked with dad and they got the same answer. Same answer. Verse 63 says this. And he, won, he asked, Zechariah asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all what? What does the word say? They all wondered. They all wondered. Zechariah was still silent at this point. So he asked for something to write on. And they were all struck with wonder. When Zechariah wrote the words, his name is John. And then this happened. Let's pick up verses 64 through 66. And immediately, immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up their hearts, laid up in their hearts saying, What then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, what had begun as a slow rollout here to, to special moments first experienced by Zechariah and then Zechariah and Elizabeth and then Mary. These moments were now being shared with more and more and more people. And little by little, eyes are being opened to the wondrous possibility that God himself was present in this. The language that, that Luke uses here very strategically is he says, the hand of the Lord was with this child. I want to show you something. If we go to that next slide, take a look at this. When God's hand is mentioned, an opportunity for deliverance is usually right around the corner. And there's a bunch of examples where you can find that in the Old Testament. God had his hand in this, his hand in this. And part of that was this language being used here, but part of it was the evidence of the Holy Spirit's activity. Let's go back to our text, verse 67. Verse 67 says this, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with who? The Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, dot, dot, dot. Now I asked the team to include Luke 142 also here on the screen. If we could pop that up, look at this. And Elizabeth, we read earlier, was filled with who? The Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. There is more in their words than simply their words. Who else is in these words? Who's inspiring these words? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was speaking through men, speaking through women as these moments came to pass. Well, at this point in the journey now, we heard from Mary and Elizabeth. We've been reading up to this point. We heard from Mary. We heard from Elizabeth. Now it's Zechariah's turn. Zechariah was described earlier in this account as a righteous man. And things in his day were not right. These were dark times. The temple where Zechariah served, it was filled with corruption and division. 
as factions fought over the very things that should have brought them together. His nation had been conquered and occupied by one empire after another. His people were oppressed by soldiers and burdened with heavy taxes. Every day as a result, every day, this stream of prayers and this string of sacrifices were being lifted up to God who had been silent for 400 years. Elsewhere in the Bible, the Bible refers to this moment as the fullness of time when Jesus came. The fullness of time. God had been waiting for this moment to speak. And when God spoke, he designed these moments of wonder as history reached this chosen mile marker. Think about this moment that we just looked at. You, it's so easy. You're reading. You can fly by these moments just like you fly by those, those mile markers. It's so good to slow down and, and really savor some of these moments. I never thought about this before. Think about the moment when Zachariah's mouth was opened. Zachariah's long period of silence was broken by the birth and by the naming of his one and only son. Does that sound at all familiar to those of you who know the Old Testament and then the New? God orchestrated a moment when 400 years of silence would be broken through the lips of one who had been silent until the birth of his only son. Right before God sent his only son to break the silence. Are you kidding me? Those are the kind of things that God put on these moments. Do you think that was accidental? And God went, ooh, that all worked together. <laughs> or do you think he had intent behind these things? Zechariah was preparing the world for the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. God seized this moment. All right, let's read the prophecy then that came forth out of Zechariah at this time. Verses 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender what? Mercy tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the prophecy. That's the prophecy that came forth from Zechariah at this time. And there's those that say that these spirit-inspired words serve as an introduction to what comes next in Luke. This prophetic poetry contains big cosmic themes of God delivering 
on those great promises. This was a moment worth seizing. And God seized it. The divine destiny of two infants that had been introduced in the first chapter of Luke, they're woven together. These divine destinies are woven together. John will prepare the way for Jesus like a guide who brings people to a place where they witness their first sunrise. Luke creates these literary moments. In fact, let's look at the last one. This is how he ends this section. Luke ends this section with these words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 80 says, And the child, referring to John, grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the where? In the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Why is that significant? Luke ends this section of these two children with divine destinies that are interwoven. Where does he leave John? In the wilderness. Where does the story pick up 30 years later when he and Jesus are reintroduced? In the wilderness. This was a moment that God seized in how it, was, how it played out, in how it's presented to us. There is so much happening here on that first Christmas. And God orchestrated these events in such a way that they could be remembered and told. I recently read that the Hebrew word that we translate into English as remember appears 169 times in the Hebrew Bible. I read that in one of our covenant publications. Uh, Becca pointed me to the article. The author also says this in that same article. The call to remember along with the admonition not to forget, appears so frequently in the book of Deuteronomy that some scholars say the text puts forth a theology of what? A theology of memory. A theology of memory for people of faith. The God of the Bible is a God who designed moments that were meant to be remembered and told. The article we just quoted goes on to build a case for the people of God to place Advent on our calendars, to use this season to remember these things and pass them along to others. We're a forgetful people. Can I get an amen? We are a forgetful people. She reminds us in that article. And the Christmas story has so much to say about a God who hears our prayers for our broken world, a God who meets unexpected people in unexpected ways, about a God who came to save us from a world that wants to pull us away from the things that matter most. And can you imagine if all of us, if all of us came away from this moment we're having right now with a renewed commitment to help people remember, make room in your inn, and to remember to give as God gave, and to remember to embrace simplicity, and to remember to initiate peace. And what if we came away from this moment better equipped to create God-honoring moments to, that are remembered and told? To that end, really quickly, here are five elements of memory making that we can pull from Luke's account. Number one, make it special. Make it special. There's a place to write these new notes. If you want to make a memory, design an experience that is different, or it's unexpected, or it's a moment that is elevated beyond the ordinary. And isn't that what God did? The Christmas story is filled with angelic visits and unexpected twists and even a baby in a manger. If 
you want a more memorable Christmas, make Advent a time that doesn't feel like the other seasons. Have special decorations, special songs, bake special foods, absorb, observe special traditions. And as you design them, consider this next principle, multi-sensory, multi-sensory. How many of you have sights, things you see that you associate with Christmas? All right. How many of you have sounds that you associate with Christmas? How many have smells that you associate with Christmas, right? Make it multi-sensory if you want to design memorable moments. Number three, make them insightful. Provide insight. If you want to make a memory, design experiences that open people's eyes to things they didn't see. Boy, God did this, didn't he? Isn't this all about prophecies being fulfilled and people going, oh, so that's what's happening here. Every year I'm learning new things that make the Christmas story even more memorable. I'm really excited for this year's candlelight service. We're going to share some things I've learned about swaddling clothes that I never knew before that make this so rich. Number four, making memories. Make memories that are shared. Memories that are happening with others. If you want to make a memory, design experiences that are shared with others. Isn't that what God did? The Christmas story is filled with moments that couples like Mary and Joseph shared together. That families and extended families like the relatives of Zachariah and Elizabeth shared together. Even co-workers, the shepherds, things that co-workers shared together. And we know this can be hard, which is why we've dedicated all of next week to saying this time of year can really be awkward and stressful precisely because of the shared moments. So we're going to talk about what are some things we could do to have things not be as stressful when we get together in a potentially set stressful situation. We're going to press into that next week. Number five, want to make memories? Make them affirming, affirming. If you want to give people the gift of a God-honoring memory, design experiences where people come away from that experience feeling welcomed and accepted and valued and appreciated and affirmed. And above all else, isn't that at the center of the Christmas story? Isn't that what God did when he stepped into this world? It's a story of a God who answered the prayers of an elderly couple beyond anything they could have dreamed of. It's a story of a God who entrusted the care of his one and only son to a couple of teenagers. It's a story of a God who welcomed shepherds in from the margins of society into the center of the story. It's the story of a God who provided a sign in the heavens for truth-seeking skeptics. It's the story of a God who stepped into our messy and our broken world and he invited messy and broken people to join his family. So I was thinking about all this. I was struck by how often we do the opposite, especially this time of year. Scott, can you put up that picture of this character? When you know the name of this character... Who's that? Rabbit. How many of you are familiar with Winnie the Pooh and this character? Rabbit. Don't be like rabbit at Christmas time. Right? Don't be like rabbit at Christmas time. Rabbit was the best party planner in the Hundred Acre Woods. And he was also the worst party planner in the Hundred Acre Woods. Right? No one was better at getting the details correct. And no one was better at missing the point. If you want to make wonderful memories, don't be like Rabbit. Rabbit's plans were more important than people or stuffed 
animals, I guess, in this case. Rabbit and the rabbi approach moments very differently. You know, imagine rabbit as he's watching kids decorate a Christmas tree. That would stress him out, wouldn't it? You're doing it all wrong. And the kids would be stressed out. And he'd kick the kids out and do the tree himself. Think how Jesus would do that differently if there were kids decorating a tree. Jesus was a discipler. He welcomed, he invited, and then he modeled and he taught and he coached and he equipped. He said, let the children come unto me is what he said too. When implementing our plans becomes more important than welcoming and developing people, pride is usually at the center. Pride says, look at me. Affirmation puts the spotlight on others. Pride leads to feelings of entitlement. Affirmation ascribes value to others. Pride seeks applause. Affirmation helps others feel appreciated. Exactly. When you're creating wonderful memories, our plans won't always go like we planned. Bulbs are going to break, and that's okay. Can I get an amen? I spent a little extra time on that one. Hopefully it was worth it. All right, that was a ridiculously fast overview of potentially life-changing concept. I cannot overstate the difference it could make if all of us became more Christ-like when it came to moments. Because wasn't Jesus the master moment maker? Just like his father. All right, we're just about at time, so let me give, leave you with this question. And then we're going to seal this moment with a great song about the moment that split history in two. Here's the question. It's a place to write in your notes. How will you treasure these memories, these moments? How will you treasure your memories for years to come? This could actually be number six on our list. We could call it anchoring, anchoring these, these moments. We're a forgetful people. One of the keys to defining moments is to anchor moments to something that will help people remember them. And as I was thinking about that, this came into my head. You're not going to find this in any scholarly paper. Everything I'm about to say is complete speculation, 100% speculation. We all clear on that? All right? Okay. Imagine this. The word says that Luke went and did a careful investigation. He went and he interviewed people. He went and he fact-checked. He went out there and he wanted to find what really happened. And we have material in the book of Luke that is exclusive content to the book of Luke. The picture I had in my head was Luke hearing these, these stories about John, the backstory behind John the Baptist. And I could picture Luke going and trying to track down the source. Who can tell me? Because by this time, Zechariah would have passed away. Elizabeth would have passed away. John was dead himself, right? He was arrested. He was executed. So I could picture Luke trying to find. I hear this story. I want to get the information. I picture him tracking down after years, tracking down someone who knew John, one of John's disciples. And, and, and going to his house, and this disciple of John's welcoming Luke in and saying, sit down, and, and getting him something to drink, something to eat. And, and Luke saying, I heard these stories about John's dad in the temple. What do you know about that story? And I can picture this disciple of John saying, just a minute. And I can picture him going to the back of the house and kind of rummaging around a little bit. And I can picture him finding a, an old piece of wood. Because back in that day, that's how they made tablets. They would take a, a piece of wood and they'd put wax on it so you could write on it. And I could picture this disciple of John saying, you know, John didn't really leave anything behind. He lived an incredibly simple life. And when he died, there was only one possession 
that he had. And he handed this to me before he was arrested. And he said, would you take care of this? Would you pass on the story? What do you think it said on that tablet? His name is John. As a church, we are committed to trying to do our best to give you guys memories that are connected and that are done in the image of this God who gave us memories. In fact, one of the things I'm talking about with our, our children's director, uh, Melissa, is can we create like some sort of heritage box where we give it to kids at their dedication or at their baptism, you know, the, give it to the parents and put these things in there and once a year open this up and look through these moments of faith and remember those things. And just as we're trying to do this as a church, I want to encourage you as individuals, as, as families, make memories, and especially this time of year, bring them out in the form of decorations and songs, things that will help you share those stories. Can we do that? All right, let's pray and, I want, and then we'll seal this moment with a, with a song. Let's pray. Father, thank you.